Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk and beyond, of course, since we do have a member from beyond on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast today. Uh, we hope that you are healthy and well and properly quarantined as best as you can be. It is a strange time, so we, we decided that we were going to get together during this strange time to distract us with a friendly Walter O'Malley debate on this, the 101st episode of the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. So without further ado, let's go right into the debate uh, after a little bit of, uh, of coronavirus chat. Uh, we're going to start in New Jersey with Peter Trunk. Peter, how are you and your family holding up? We're doing very well, thank you. We're, we're following all the directions, and uh, we're not panicking and uh, we're basically we're staying inside. Very boring. Uh, I, I wish I could tell you some, uh, you know, uh, harrowing stories on how we, uh, you know, just escaped this or just escaped that. But I don't have any stories like that. Quite boring. We're just we're watching movies on TV. We're watching a lot of Netflix. We're playing with our dog, and uh, we do get out to walk the dog. And uh, we're we're I guess the best way to say it is. We're behaving ourselves. Our children are all grown and out there. You know, they're, they're doing their own thing. They have their own families. So uh, we're doing the best we can, and uh, we're in a good uh, mental. We're in a good mental place too. We're not uh, depressed. We're not frightened. We're uh, we're just we're we're doing the best we can. Thank you for asking, and I hope you two gentlemen you know, I, are in the, in the same place. I, I think you bring up a good point about fear, and for some reason i guess just because you know when when telling people this morning uh that my mom was feeling like she had a fever um I, you know the, the the people are like oh no you know and just like you gotta do this you gotta do that and uh, i'm i franklin delano roosevelt's words came to my my head the only thing we have to fear is fear itself so i like that you're staying positive peter about it and and let's go out to the midwest to illinois to uh, welcome back Rob Barnes, Dodger fan extraordinaire. What's going on, Rob? How are you guys doing out there? Hey, I'm good. I'm good, Sam. Thank you. We're, uh, as everybody says, we're quarantined. Our daughter is a graduate student music in DePaul in Chicago, but she's come home to be with us. We're in the western suburbs of Geneva, about 35 miles due west. Everything is calm out here. We're doing okay. We both work from home. I'm a music teacher. I'm trying to do some lessons online as well as I also work for my wife's company as well. And we do some training in that as well. And we're doing okay. And she heard a neat uh, thought from a coworker of her on a project yesterday. She was talking with everybody. It's like trying to stay positive. And the woman she talked with said, you know, it's just another day closer towards the end. So just kind of look at it that way. It's it's another day past. As long as you stay healthy and you can keep moving it and cross it off, and we'll and we'll and we will we will fix this. That is okay. a proper way. You know, we're we're all we all have uh, the same uh, direction that we're going, the same ending, uh, one way or another. So just uh, you know, it, it, it's certainly a surreal experience, but stay positive and take in the experience because life is nuts, and and life right now is certainly. Uh, even nuttier. So without further ado, let's uh, go go back uh, in time a little bit, uh, about uh, 50 to 70 years behind us. And, and it, it, you know, Walter O'Malley has been vilified by the, the Brooklyn folk for, 
long time for taking the Dodgers out of Brooklyn. And, and I, but, you know, during this podcast, I, I tried to keep an open mind, and, and without even necessarily uh, directing it this way, I found that there's certainly a little bit more nuance to Walter O'Malley than meets the eye, for sure. And so even though, <clears throat> excuse me, as I was saying to uh, my gentleman before we got on the podcast that I do have certain opinions about the gentleman. Um, I, I'm going to try to keep those to myself during this uh, friendly debate. And what, what I'd like to start, since generally we have heard the, the vilification of Walter O'Malley so much, I'd like to start with you, Rob, in, in kicking us off with, with the benefits of, of what Walter O'Malley did for baseball from your point of view. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a great topic and one that I'm very well versed in. Uh, I've read my, my private uh, library contains approximately 75 books of Dodger history. So I have read both sides of this, of this debate. I've read a lot of it. So Walter O'Malley, as you all know, was from New York. He was a businessman first and foremost, obviously, when he bumped head with Branch Rickey, when they both were co-owners of the Dodgers. Ricky always took care of the player side. Walter was always in charge of the personnel side, excuse me, of, of the financial side. Walter always had dollar signs in, in, his, in his view because that's what he was. He was a businessman. He, and if, if, to get to the heat of this debate, why they moved, uh, the first uh, article I can find of him wanting to uh, discuss the, a new stadium slash or rebuilding of Ebbets Field was back in October of 1946. So as soon as he was there, he was on it. He was looking for a place to get more people into the stands in order to generate more money for himself. Not only did he do that, he also was a pioneer of pay television. He wanted to, I believe it was called Skyatron. He wanted to have the first pay television set. I don't know how it worked with the technology of the 40s and 50s if he had a a coin box on the top of your television, and Walter came by once every month, you know, with his cigar spilling <laughs> ashes as he got his quarters out laughing at you. Ha ha, I got your money. But he was a, a forefront. He was always progressively thinking. We can go into the dome. I mean, that's forward thinking, everything. So I, I think my time's up. I'll, I'll, I'll pass off now. Well, it's so interesting uh, you mentioned the dome. Uh, uh, that 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 is something that, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not going to uh, direct it this way, Peter, because uh, you you can take it from wherever you are. But the dome always fascinates me from a topic. But but we'll we'll loop back around to that in a second. Go ahead, Peter. What do you have to say on your side about Walter O'Malley? All right. First of all, I you know I I don't want to. I, I I need I need a little background, if 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 it's okay. I need a little background on the age of the person that I'm debating. I'm 73. <laughs> you're 73. I am 57. I was born in right, 62 you're 57. after this all happened. I'm, I'm a historian. I, like I said, I've read 70, uh, okay. uh, 100 books on this topic. Well, that that's going to enter into our discussion. Of course it is. Oh, and of course I, it I, is. I, very heavily, by the way. I I uh, was in Ebbets Field. Uh, I was in Roosevelt Stadium in Jersey City. I was playing in the Little League when the Dodgers were still in Ebbets Field. I lived in Brooklyn. We went to see ball games there. I watched them on television. 
Um, Walter O'Malley, Walter O'Malley's crime is often excused by the modern generation uh, as being a good business decision. He made more money in L.A. than he was making in Brooklyn. And, that, and that's true. That's true. I can't argue that. However, that proposition doesn't get uh, to Walter O'Malley's underlying crime. And, I, yes, I use the word crime. Simply stated, he sold out loyalty for greed. And by doing so, he set a precedent that not only changed Major League Baseball, but all pro sports forever. For the worst, I'll just bring up one. The Baltimore Colts of the National Football they moved in the middle of the night. They had 100, 115 vans, Ford vans, uh, come up to the stadium uh, and, and load up and drive to Indianapolis. He knew, uh, Ursay his name was, he, he knew he was committing a mortal sin. He was... He was taking his team and moving it to another place, trying to hide. Of course, we didn't have uh, cell phones and, and uh, the web and, and, and ESPN 24 hours a day and all that stuff. He thought he was going to get away with that, and all of a sudden he was going to be the Indianapolis Colts. This, this started a whole, thing, a whole trend. The Dodgers are the only team that moved, baseball team, the only baseball team that moved that were making money, not only making money, they were making more money than any other National League team, including the Milwaukee Braves, who had just moved to Milwaukee in 1953 because of their lucrative TV contract. The Dodgers made more money than any other team except for the Yankees, and the Yankees were in the American League. Walter O'Malley was one of those guys, you know, you go to barbecues nowadays in the 2020s uh, i'm talking about nowadays and and you hear guys uh bitching and moaning about oh these players they make so much money they're so greedy you know well let 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 let's just take player x player x is making 23 million a year all of a sudden he comes to the end of his contract and player x who's a big star in a certain city he's gone He's a thousand miles away in another city because he can make twenty-seven million instead of twenty-three million. To me, this is ludicrous. It's crazy. O'Malley was making money hand over fist. He heard the rumors, and they were strong that baseball was going to either legitimize the Pacific Coast League into the major leagues, or they were going to expand west. And he wanted to be that guy. He wasn't a visionary. He took advantage. That's all I'll start off with. Rob, go ahead. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, you Well, since you were fortunate enough to have been alive during that time, I always said if I have a time machine and I can go back to any place in time, I want the first place I stop is Ebbets Field. Probably the first day is April 15th of 1947, but any time during <laughs> the Boys of Summer era, I would love to have attended to. I mean, it's it just is just I'm goosebumpy thinking about it. It is just incredibly awesome. Yes, but he had to have a, a Walter had to have a, a resolution to his stadium problem. I'm looking right now at their attendance figures. 1955, the year they finally won it. I'm wearing their sweatshirt today. In 1955, they won it. You know what their annual their average attendance was? Thirteen thousand. 
423. That's the wrong way to say it, though. That's the wrong way to say it. You're saying it backwards. You're saying it backwards. You're absolutely correct. But in those days, a million paid uh, uh, people a year at your home games was was the line of demarcation. If you were over yes. a million, you were doing great because there weren't that many teams making uh, uh, drawing a million fans. Uh, the number was, the, but the number was progressively going down. Well, okay, it's it's, it's hovering around the thirteen, thirteen. Then it went up, it jumped a bit in fifty six, and then it tanked in fifty seven. Obviously, I, I, but can I can I uh, interject ahead. with sure. some facts? Sure. Nineteen fifty five, of course the. Uh, um, you know, the migration out to the suburbs was really in full effect. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is also where O'Malley was trying to get car, uh, a parking spots. You know, they only had mm-hmm. 800 uh, spots around. So I think that was another reason why uh, the numbers may have been down. Also, though, I will state from the other side of things, games were during the day generally, which was not going to, always, going to be able to generate that many people considering you couldn't right. get off work, of course. Okay, okay. And uh, also, you would, uh, Peter, you had mentioned the Braves movement. Walter saw the Braves movement. They saw a county stadium built out. I don't know if you guys have been to Milwaukee, but I've been to both county stadium and New Miller Park. It's west of the downtown. Easy ingress and egress, if that's the right words. E- access. You can get in and out. Ample parking all over the place. Uh, a nice stadium, easy to get in and out of. Walter saw that, and he saw the fact that the Braves are going to be able to draw a million six, a million five, whatever the number was. I could look it up, and therefore he could have the Braves could have more money to buy to, to get to improve, improve their farm system. In other words, the arms race is there. He saw that, and what did the Braves do in the late fifties? They won two straight pennants in 57 and 58, and they, and they battled all throughout the early 60s. He saw what was out there, and he wanted a piece of that pie. And he wanted and it to land Blackbush first. And, and, and they, they won it in 57 and 58, and then they moved. They had a move from Milwaukee. They weren't drawing Well, in 66, not for another half a decade. Right, I know, but, they, but it's ironic that they had to move again. So no, did the A's. When, when really the A's. When the A's moved from Philadelphia to Kansas City, they, 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 they were second in, in Philadelphia. The Phillies were the Phillies. The A's were nobody. They were the stepchild oh, of course. in Philadelphia. Of course. And they moved to Kansas City, and they wound up moving again. Yeah, okay? right. Well, let's, well let's, let's, think, let's think about it, too. You can't compare the Dodgers to the A's. Yes, the A's were great in the early part of the century. The A's were incredible uh, under Connie Mack. But once you get to the 40s and 50s, you can't you can't compare. Agreed. There's another so, team that uh, has no parking. There, there's another team that has no parking whatsoever, and they're doing sensational. And their their stadium is as old as Ebbets Field, and that's the Boston Red Sox. You know why? You, you know you why the Boston? Park, you can't park anywhere. You can't park anywhere in Boston. You actually have to walk to Fenway Park. Uh, I've heard a very interesting people walk to the ballpark. The reason why both Wrigley Field and uh, Fenway Park are still around is because those teams stunk during the time of the of the mid fifties and sixties of the of the first round of stadium expansions. Had those teams been better then, 
they're, 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 I've, I've read a very interesting article. I don't know where it is, but the, this author said that the fact that those teams both were bad during those time periods kept those older era of Ebbets Field stadiums around. And I think there's, there's a lot to that, too. Now, is it because they were smaller and, and they still had such rich history that they kept their fan bases lively, whereas the, the you know, teams like the, uh, uh, the A's, excuse me, um, they, you know, basically from the 20s onward uh, uh, were having a, a, a rapid uh, decline. Yeah. The, there were hemorrhaging money. There's no pressure they, put on they, the stadium. Right. Go ahead, the Browns and the A's were drawing no, nothing. They were drawing mm-hmm. flies. They had to move. The Dodgers were, were drawing over a million fans. They were the only team, okay, the only baseball team ever in history that moved after drawing over a million fans. And like I said, back in those days, back in the 50s, a million fans was the line of demarcation because many teams were drawing 800,000, 600,000, 700,000. The Dodgers in their 32,000-seat stadium with no parking were drawing over a million fans every year. And they were making money. So their TV so their, going, their TV contract direction. was so lucrative, it was it, it was incredible. They were making so much money. So so Peter, I'm going to frame a, a question your way, and then Rob, before you respond to him, um, I, I have a question for you as a follow up. So Certainly. Peter, if you can talk about your perception and and uh, your knowledge and thoughts about it of. Walter O'Malley's attempt to find a stadium in New York City. Oh, initially, I'll give him all the credit in the world. Initially, Walter O'Malley legitimately searched for a place. Um, This is not known by many people, but there is proof on the web and on the Internet, a lot of Facebook pages, that Walter O'Malley was the first one not Robert Moses, he was the first one to come up with the Shea Stadium site in Flushing Meadow. He was the one that came up with that. And when and months later, when Robert Moses proposed that site, all of a sudden Walter was against it. And when Walter O'Malley moved uh, the Dodgers in the winter of 57-58, the most well-known writer in New York at the time, Dick Young, asked him, what were you most nervous about after he had uh, announced that the Dodgers would, in fact, move to L.A.? And Walter O'Malley said to Dick Young, off the record, but Dick Young being who Dick Young was, didn't keep it off the record. Walter O'Malley said, I was afraid they were going to give me what I was asking for. Walter O'Malley made up his mind to move to Los Angeles after he was promised illegal, illegal things. Today, in today's world, Los Angeles could never have offered Walter O'Malley what they offered him back in 1955, 56, 57. The L.A. people thought they were getting the Washington Senators. I'm sure you both read that. Mm -hmm. They thought they were getting the Washington Senators, and they were happy as a pig in you-know-what. But when Walter O'Malley wrote that note 
during the 1956 World Series and said, before you talk to Washington, talk to me. He knew he was going. When the Dodgers went to Japan after the series in 1956, Walter O'Malley stopped in L.A. Walter O'Malley got in a helicopter. They showed him Chavez Ravine. They promised him everything. They'll give it to him on a, on a silver platter. He almost jumped out of the helicopter. He knew when he came back from Japan, when he came back to Brooklyn, he was wearing buttons saying, keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn. He was lying to everybody, right to our faces. He knew he was moving. He knew he was moving. It was, it was an outright lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. He knew he was going. And, in fact, when he did, in fact, physically move, he kept Ebbets Field on a string. Even though he had sold it to Kratner, he, he, he held the okay that he could rent it, he could lease it for another two or three baseball seasons. Because when he got to L.A., guess what? All the movie stars had to have a 24-hour TV marathon to try to sell the people of Los Angeles on voting for this crazy, crazy deal that L.A. was giving uh, Walter O'Malley for nothing. And Walter O'Malley says, you know, now, now people say, they, they love to say this, they love to say, well, Walter O'Malley wanted um, where the Barclays Center is now, actually across the street for where the mm-hmm. basketball NBA Brooklyn Nets play. He wanted that. That's what he wanted. Well, guess what? It was illegal for Robert Moses to give him that at the time. Well, there's Title I, eminent domain. You cannot condemn public land for a private enterprise. Don't ask me how they got over it in uh, 2008 or in 2009 when they built the Barclays Center, but they did. But back in 1957, that was illegal. They couldn't do it. Robert Moses couldn't do it. So it's all bull. So, it's all bull. So let me, Walter O'Malley, Walter to, O'Malley. Before I go to you, Rob. Sorry, Peter. Before I go to you, Rob, Peter, I want to frame a question your way, and then I'll go, I'll go to Rob. Excuse me. Go ahead. Um, so, so, Peter, would you have accepted the Dodgers in Flushing? Would I have accepted the Dodgers in where? Would you have accepted oh, the Dodgers lost. in another borough but Brooklyn? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I'll give you a little story on that. Real short. I won't take up my partner's time over here. Let's say you're in love with a girl, deeply in love with a girl. You're a young guy. You're in love with her. and She's in love with you. And her father says, we're moving. And you go, oh, no, what do you mean you're moving? And the father says, we're going to move out of Brooklyn. We're going to move either, either we're going to move to Queens or we're going to move to Los Angeles. So we're either moving 10 miles away or we're moving 3,000 miles away. Where would you want your girlfriend to move if she, in fact, had to move? There you go. There's my answer. There you go. So, Rob, I want you to keep all the thoughts you gathered uh, as, as you were listening to Peter, and, and, but start this way. Do you think the fact that O'Malley was trying to sell a domed stadium, which was slightly ahead of its time by about 10 years or more, really, considering he had this idea in the 40s, do you think that that was one of the, the things that uh, prevented him 
from either getting that spot or having something, you know, uh, real to present in his argument for, for Brooklyn? Uh, well, it all comes down to, to, to Robert Moses, who, in my opinion, is villain is as much of a villain as Walter O'Malley in this case. The fact that Robert Moses was not a baseball fan, couldn't give two you-know-whats about baseball, the fact that he would, would just push him wherever, you know, it was his ball. He was not elected. He was appointed. He had an, he was an appointed position and he had all this power in New York. Things that I've read have said that he has had more power than Casham than the mayor, than anybody out there. The fact that Robert Moses, an unelected official is running the city of New York, the biggest, the greatest city in the world is just, it's just kind of mind boggling to, to me that the, that this is allowed to happen. And the fact that he pushes this space-aged option, we're going to put a dome stadium on top of all the subways and everything. Everybody can e- easily come here and get here and get out. And, and Moses has got to be, uh, and, and a part of his mind has got to be saying, this is crazy. This is never going to work. How can this possibly be? So we're just going to take him and put him wherever. So, yes, and back to what Peter was saying, yes, there had to be a point. I, Walter O'Malley was – Seriously, in my opinion, and to everything I've read, seriously looking for a site in New York, whether it was uh, whether whether you say it was first flushing, whether it was Atlantic and Flatbush, whether it was wherever. He was a native New Yorker. He took an incredible risk to move a baseball team 2,500 miles across country with uh, on a whim on Los Angeles, saying, "Sure, we want you." Yes. In hindsight, it is the greatest uh, franchise move in the history of sports by far. But the fact that he did it uh, on a last second without a stadium deal, I really think that he was trying to get into Brooklyn as long as possible. So I will also frame it this way. In terms of buying land himself, what's your take on that, the fact that he did not? The fact that he did not, he was just asking for some help. It was, right, it was uh, the meat market area. It was, it was slums. Everybody, you know, the, the, the pictures I've seen, the articles I've read, I'm sorry I did not see it firsthand. I would have loved to have. Uh, the area was run down. I mean, how could this area, how could this development not help the borough of Brooklyn? How could it not just been incredible, just, in a, just a, a, an economic influx? But then again, here it comes again. Baseball, Walter O'Malley is vilified because baseball is a business and he treated it like a business and he is the first person to treat it like a business, a business. So therefore he takes the heat for it. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm trying to think where to go with, uh, with this. And I, I was wondering, I, I, I heard something, and, and I, I'm trying not to, like, lean it this way, and, and I guess I'll go to you, Peter, first with this, that there were some uh, uh, moguls and, and some, some uh, rich folk, apparently, who did uh, uh, offer Walter O'Malley to buy the land without him using his own money. And I, I heard uh, Rockefeller was one of these people. Walter O'Malley was staunchly against leasing or renting. He wanted to own everything. He wanted to own everything. And he did, he did say that I can come up with X number of dollars in this. You see, 
Walter, Walter's not stupid. Was never, never accused of being stupid. Accused of being a lot of things in my household back in Brooklyn, but never stupid. He was the owner, and he had the legal right to move the team. We understand that. But the move was ethically and morally wrong. He was the first owner in modern sports to abandon a sustainable and profitable location with a loyal fan base for a bigger profit. He was guilty of disloyalty. He was guilty of greed. He sold out the people of Brooklyn, maybe the most loyal of all sports at the time, for bigger profits. He changed forever the nature of modern sports ownership. Baseball and all sports changed from a world where there was a bond of loyalty between the team and the fans. Now it's a one-way street. The fans can be loyal, but the owners no longer are bound by it. To excuse his crime, really, seriously, is, is, as a good business decision, is like saying that Judas made a good business decision when he took the 20 pieces of silver. Oh. I, don't know if you well, guys, it's, it's... I don't know if you guys know Pete Hamill. He's still alive. Pete yeah. Hamill is a writer, wrote about mm-hmm. 40 books. Uh, he was a, Pete, he was a Pete, writer for all of the, the New York newspapers. Pete, Pete I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just want to let the, the live audience know uh, that we're going to be losing the live feed, but once uh, we're done with the show, uh, you'll be able to pick the entire thing up on the archive. So thank you so much for listening, but we're going to continue this debate. And uh, Peter, Pete Hamill. Yeah, Pete Hamill was a writer, still is. Uh, he was a writer. Uh, he was a publisher of the New York Post and the Daily News, wrote a lot of books. And one of his friends, Jack Newfield, was a writer for the Village Voice and wrote some books by himself. And they were great friends. And they went out to dinner in Brooklyn one night uh, in the uh, 80s, 1980s. And over dinner, uh, they, they were having their cigars and their brandy after dinner. And Newfield said, let's write down on our napkin the three biggest, the, the three most evil men of the 20th century. So they took out their <laughs> pen and they made their list and they, turned, and they turned their napkins over. After another brandy, they turned their napkins, they switched napkins and they read each other's napkins, and they were both the same. One was Hitler, two was Stalin, and three was O'Malley. The old joke goes, you're in an elevator. The elevator's stuck. You have a gun with two bullets. You're stuck in the elevator with Hitler, Stalin, and O'Malley. You only have two bullets. Who do you shoot? And the answer, of course, is O'Malley twice. twice. (laughs) And And that's the way people in Brooklyn think about it. And I will say this, and this, and this might be dirty pool, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you had been born in 1946 instead of when you were, if you were 15 years older and you lived in Brooklyn and you went to Ebbets Field like I did, you would be on my side and this show would really stink because we'd both agree with each other 100%. <laughs> Rob, uh, take it away. Yes. Okay. I agree. Uh, Peter, you are right. Had I been 15 years older, I would be right with you 1,000%. But you talk about 
you talk about how Walter O'Malley changed things and how he did it. But isn't change inevitable in society and everything? If, if it sports is. were supposed to stay there, if sports would have never evolved. They'd still be playing ball without gloves, and you could be able to catch the ball on one bounce, and it's an out. So everything has to drift, change. Right? Everything, and, and, and the fact that the population was moving west, the fact that the, the, uh, there was nothing west of the Mississippi River was in, in the, in the mid-50s was ludicrous. The fact that how many people are living out there, the fact that jet travel was becoming much more easy. It was a lot easier. They weren't taking trains everywhere uh, between road trips. I've looked at the old schedules. It's crazy sometimes back in the 40s how, how they would have two and three days off between coming back from Chicago or St. Louis just to get back on the train. I mean, that's the way, that's the way thing evolves. Everything evolves. And, and I, I, I keep coming back to the fact that where Ricky, where Branch Ricky was the, the, the player personnel side and Walter O'Malley was the businessman. And yes, he is vilified for it. And I can, and I, I appreciate you and I understand your vilification for him and I get it. I get it completely. But the fact that somebody had to do it and if it wasn't him, yeah, it was what Griffith owned the senators. Yeah, the senators would have moved out there. Nobody would have cared because the senators stunk. The fact that the Dodgers were so good for so long, that they finally won it in 55, and two years later they're gone, it rips my heart out. When I read that stuff, it rips my heart out. It was just unbelievable. But then, okay, but then here's another point. There was a question I want to ask both of you. Had he got the dome, okay, had he got the dome or – or, yes, let's say he got the dome at Atlantic and Flatbush. It opened up in 62 of the year Dodger Stadium opened. Okay, it's going to be aged by now. What happens in 2010, in 2015, in 2020 when that dome, it was state-of-the-art as it was in 1962, as where Dodger Stadium has been able to be reinforced and be, and be modernized for the ages? Would that dome have been able to be modernized and reinforced for the ages? What would have happened now? Well, no one knows the answer to that. Yeah, they they, they might have moved. They 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 might have moved from uh, from there uh, mm-hmm. to uh, another place in Brooklyn, but they'd still be in Brooklyn. Um, they they wouldn't be moving out of Brooklyn. That's for damn sure. The 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 uh, the fans the fans in Bro- I can't even explain to you. It would take another show to try to explain to you the. The, the fans, the baseball fans in Brooklyn. I mean, you know, you hear oh, these stories. You oh. hear these stories. You walk down the street in Brooklyn, and you never miss a pitch because everybody's oh, window yeah. was open, and you heard Red Barber or you heard Vin Scully, and they they, they were they were, they had the ball game on, and and that's you know <laughs> that might be an exaggeration, but it's true to the extent where people like when you would when my mother would go into Bohacks. You know, should you know, my father would go to get a haircut, whatever. You'd walk in there and they go, "Did you see that throw by Perillo last night?" Like, everybody talked of Dodgers. That was the life and blood of Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. But society has changed too. Now, is, is base, baseball's not even number one anymore. Baseball's uh, NFL says they're number one. Whatever. I don't NFL. Whatever. Baseball's number one in my book. But as well, society so changes. In this context of of not having baseball, I think we're we're seeing how much society does miss it still. Obviously, oh, you know we'd be having the playoffs; they they miss March Madness. Um, but you know it, it's a big question about whether or not we're going to be able to get games in. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, did you hear what happened in Toronto? I thought I saw on Twitter yesterday, Toronto has outlawed any outdoor gatherings until June 30th, at least. So what does that do to the Blue Jays? What does that do to MLB coming back at all? I know that's not yeah, the but, topic, but that's Well, crazy. I think I think July 1st, uh, guys, is probably the uh, the, the, the day. You know, end all be all. If you can't get it by July yeah, first, yeah. you got to consider. You know, and at that point, it's going to be kind of a, a mark. There's going to be an asterisk one way or the other from a playoff perspective. Uh, um, you know, it's it, it's a strange thing, and and uh, one one way or the other. You know, I, I haven't decided whether or not I even want because I do think it would kind of butcher it in some fashion to have anything. Then again, there's well, the urgency, the urgency of every game could be fascinating and, and it it would be oh, played on a and I I, I just I'll, I'll say this before we get back to Walter O'Malley I, I I I don't want them to be extending the season I want them to figure out how many games they can get whether it's adding double headers but I, I want them to basically still start the playoffs when they were planning on starting the playoffs even if they they need to rearrange in some fashion the way the playoffs are formatted now I don't know I just would rather it not like like the whole point of starting the season as early as they were going to was so we can stop moving into November and all of a sudden right. we're going to have to move all the way to Thanksgiving. Uh, please, I, yeah. let's, let's just take all you know we can we can take it easy, you know rewatch. But if, if they had there's, to do there's, that, if, there's, a, if, there's a ball game they, from 1950 to watch. If if they had to move into uh, playing up until Thanksgiving, they're also talking about playing at neutral sites. So they could yep. play in domed stadiums. They could play in Florida or Arizona or Los Angeles. They could play in warm uh, climates or domed stadiums. So they could do it. I think the least number of games for a viable season would be 81. What do you guys think? Have a half a season. Yeah, yeah I guess I'd say 100. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, they, uh... hey, if I, if I had my druthers, I'd, I'd take that, too. But, I mean, the least number of games that would be a viable season and it wouldn't be a joke would be 81 games, half a season. I think so. I think you gotta you got to give enough time for everything to – because you, know you obviously know how baseball works, you know. Yep. You have to have enough to make it sure and make it fair. And 81 would be fair. Like you said, Sam, 100 would be fine, I think, too. How, yeah, however many, just play. Yeah. Well, the other rumor is that they would switch the schedule and you'd only play people in your, in your division. You'd play everybody like 20 times or something like that, and that would be the 80-game schedule. Well, we'll see what happens. Well, so keep a good thought. And, and talk about a throwback, though. I mean, it used to be that you would yeah, play every right. team in the league 22 times. Yeah, 22 yeah. times, yep. right. Yep. I just feel bad for the present-day so, Dodgers. They got Mookie... They got Mookie Betts, and now Mookie Betts. He, he, he's going to sit. He's going to sit on his duff for a year, and then he's going to move on. And the Dodgers and will the never have Mookie too. Betts if, if there is no season. Yep. Well, guys, we're gonna, we have uh, less than five minutes before before we get cut off. So I, I want to go to closing remarks. Uh, uh, take the podium. We're going to start with you, Rob, since. Uh, um, we we well we started with you at the beginning so I'm I'm going to uh I'll I'll you know what hold on for a second hold on for a second you know what we we gave Rob the first word let's give him the last as well uh Peter take it away 
right. It's, I have nothing really to add. I mean, it's very difficult for me, and I have all the respect in the world for you. Don't get me wrong. But it's very difficult for me to listen to a 57-year-old guy that lived a thousand miles away from Dodger, both Dodger Stadium and Ebbets Field to really feel, feel. I'm talking about you can read all the books you want. Instead of 75 books, you can read 750 books. To be there, you have no clue. You really don't. And it's, it's, it's nothing against you personally at all. You just weren't there. I mean, you know, if I, if I told you that uh, World War II really wasn't that big of a deal, but you were in the foxholes, you could come back and say to me, Peter, with all due respect, you read all those books on World War II. I was in the foxhole. You're wrong. So uh, as a gentleman and, and staying and keeping a, a gentleman's uh, uh, point of view, I respect all of the things that you said, but I also tell you, that as a gentleman, I'm telling you, you're wrong. Walter O'Malley was a bastard. That's all I have to say. Rob? <laughs> Peter, that's wonderful. I, I, I admire your passion. <laughs> I admire your spirit. I love it. And as I said before, if I were your age in the same place, I would do the same thing. My mom attended Game 7 of the 1947 World Series in Yankee Stadium. My dad attended Game 6, Don Larson's perfect game of the 56 World Series in Yankee Stadium. I have ticket stubs for both of them. My parents have had had the experience to be able to do that. It's credible. The fact that I'll go back to what I said. It changed. Change is inevitable. What's going on in our world right now, nobody likes it, but this too shall pass. Everything happens and everything progresses. If we were to be stay stagnant as the way we always were in the past, like I said before, we'd be still be playing baseball without gloves, and if you catch the ball on one bounce, it's an out. Unfortunately, this had to happen. Unfortunately, a team had to migrate to the West Coast. This is just a series of an unfortunate, uh, un, 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 an unfortunate events that led to this with, as uh, another Rob on Twitter says, two of the biggest egos in New York City, Robert Moses versus Walter O'Malley, two stubborn guys that were digging their heels in. They dug their heels in as far as they could get, and nobody, somebody had to give. Unfortunately for you, Peter, and unfortunately for all the Brooklyn fans, it had to be Walter O'Malley because, as I said before, he was a businessman. He had to look out for his interests and, like I said, he would, took a risk moving a native New Yorker, moving his team 2,500 miles across the country, and it became the, the most profitable and successful franchise movie, move, franchise move in the history of sports. And sadly for you guys and everybody out east, it was. And I, I will uh, finish by saying this, that it was another five to seven years after the Dodgers moved that Robert O'Malley really got knocked off his pedestal. So, uh you know, it, at the time, Walter O'Malley was in the thick of Rob, Robert Moses' power, so it was certainly a hard yeah. thing to take on. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end. Uh, the only thing that I, I failed to bring up and, and had wanted to was Horace Stoneham, just kind of wanted to get a little a little Stoneham talk uh, in to, to counter all the Walter O'Malley, but we'll have to follow up 
firstly, Rob, thank you so much for joining us today uh, on the pro Walter O'Malley side of things. Sam, it was my pleasure. It was uh, beyond uh, fun to debate with you, Peter. And it was really nice to have something to look forward on my calendar. I actually woke up this morning and said, hey, this is cool. I got something fun to do. <laughs> thank you, Rob. Thank and you, and Peter, thank you thank so you. much for – yeah, thank you for, for uh, you know, handling the anti-O'Malley side of things. You're very welcome, and I invite both of you and all of your listeners to visit YouTube, Dodger Baseball Chronicles. That's my TV show. Perfect. Excellent. Everybody go to Dodger Chronicles. Baseball Chronicles on YouTube. And, yes, uh, ladies on and YouTube, gentlemen, that's my that'll... TV show. I also, have, I also have a Facebook page by the same name. Dodger Baseball Chronicles, and you're invited to visit. Head there, everybody. Head there, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast. Catch us next time. Take care.